The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. As we like to say we love having you join us along for the ride, as it were. Nathan Miller is our producer. He is at the board. The weather in Seattle. What are you going to do, right? The weather in Seattle and Puget Sound gradually warms this time of year. Though, let's face it, it's a case of two steps forward, one step back. Depends day to day and week to week. That's okay. The Seattle of the great outdoors invites your exploration and enjoyment whenever the sun makes its welcome return. Harriet Baska, she's making her return. We're so delighted to have her back. Harriet, you'll recall, is the author of 111 Places in Seattle That You Must Not Miss. Many of those spots are outdoors and uniquely beautiful. We'll talk about some of them in today's episode. This is American Road Trip Talk, and we'll be back with the interview right after this. Are we there yet? That's not a question you'll be hearing while cruising around Nevada. That's because here in the road trip capital of the USA, that old cliche about it being the journey that matters more is actually legit. In Nevada, you can kick back in a crowdless state or national park, gaze up at some of the nation's darkest, most star-studded skies, meander among the world's oldest living trees, have your breath stolen by the crystal clear waters of Lake Tahoe. All along the way, you will find the kinds of iconic, wide-open highways where road trip dreams are made. For insider tips about Nevada road trips and unexpected Silver State destinations, order your free Nevada magazine and visitor guide today at TravelNevada.com slash Travel-Guides. Adventure, history, and beauty all await you on Natchez Parkway, a national scenic byway and national park. This 444-mile drive takes you through some of the country's most stunning landscapes, while also allowing you access to exciting communities along the way. From Natchez, Mississippi to Nashville, Tennessee, we invite you to explore the trace and discover America. Plan your trip at scenictrace.com. That's scenictrace.com. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and Alert Drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert Drops will stop it. What is Alert Drops? Alert Drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, alert drives will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving, whether you are studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get alert drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertjobs.com. Very important. Go to alertjobs.com and stay safe. 
Make this spring picture perfect in Oregon's Mount Hood territory. Book a kayak tour to Willamette Falls. Make a splash on a guided whitewater trip navigating Class 3 and 4 rapids. Get into history's interactive side on the Heritage Trail. Find your favorite color on a wildflower walk. Meet baby animals on farm loops and visit vineyards on the new wine trail. Plan your trip today at mounthoodterritory.com slash spring. There's room to roam along the scenic byways in southeast Idaho's high country, and it's a great time to get away and decompress. Did you know southeast Idaho is hot springs country? Come and relax in natural mineral water hot pools. Then visit one of their quirky museums like the Idaho Potato Museum, the Museum of Clean, or the Butch Cassidy Museum. Go to IdahoHighCountry.org to plan your trip. You're sure to find your favorite way to disconnect when you visit Idaho. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk and another talk with our friend Harriet Baskus. He is an author and journalist who has produced radio documentaries on everything from early cowgirls to offbeat museums and she's written eight books about unusual attractions, hidden museum treasures, and airports around the world. She served as the general manager of three, count them, three community radio stations in the Pacific Northwest, and now reports on travel and the arts for a variety of national outlets and for her blog, stuckattheairport.com. We're happy to be stuck with Harriet Baskus once again. Harriet, how are you doing, my dear? That's great. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited. Oh, we have so much to talk about. You might expect that when someone comes out with a book about 111 places in Seattle that you must not miss. I regret to say that in my 21 years of living there, always with the option to come back and visit or just come back, I did not get to see a lot of these. And so we want to let everybody know I lived there all that time and was just unaware, and I'll bet that's true of some of our listeners at least, and they want to know where to go in Seattle to have fun and see something exceptional when the sun is out and the air is getting warm. Absolutely. I've lived here for more than 35 years, and in doing this book, I found places that I didn't know about. Well, there you go. I feel less guilty, (laughs) (laughs) less uninformed, but we're going to get enlightened here, but quick. To start with, you know, I was going through all of these and I'm like, oh, this one, yes, outdoors. And let's let's make this the pattern outdoors. It's a great theme because the weather is starting to get better and it will get better still. I love a city that thinks enough of its ecology and the environment to create such a loving environs for the people who live and, of course, the people who visit. My mind goes to entry number 102 to kick things off here, Harriet the Waterfall Garden Park, which I think has something to do with guys in brown shorts also delivering boxes. It's all very strange, but you can clear it up. Absolutely. In fact, it's one of the, I think probably one of the smallest parks in the city, but it's an urban park. It's right downtown in Pioneer Square, and it's on the site where United Parcel Service was created um, back in the early 1900s. So um, I think a lot of people, like we all know what UPS is now, but we don't know that it's homegrown. And it started as like a messenger service, started by two teenagers in 1907. And then they built it up. They finally got, first they would have boys running around town on on just running around. Then they did it on bicycles, delivering messages. And then they got a 
a Model T Ford, and then that became UPS service. So that company is not based here anymore, but there is a park on the site where that was um, started. And so it's it's right downtown Pioneer Square, which is very concrete heavy. And it's this little corner. It's um, it's like well protected. It's a gated park. It's open to the public during the week. And it's got um, a waterfall and it's got um, it's got little chairs and little places to sit. And it's just a very it's like an oasis in the middle of Pioneer Square. And it's and it's just very lovely and welcoming. And the waterfall, especially just that the sound of the waterfall and what waterfall does to the air is just very refreshing. So I really like that spot. Yes, it absolutely is. Oasis was the perfect word, yes. a one word description. That's just excellent. And Pioneer Square, there's a lot to see around there as well. My understanding is that Pioneer Square or some part of it is actually under the administration of the National Park Service. There's a, yes. It's about the heritage. Yes, it's I mean, there's so much history there. And there's also that's where the um, Gold Rush Museum is. So it is a very, one of the smallest national parks is down right around the corner uh, in Pioneer Square. And, it, and you can go see the learn about the whole history of the Gold Rush from this area, the Klondike Gold Rush Museum. Klondike Gold Rush. Wow. Also in the also in the book. <laughs> also in the book. You're getting me to think of uh, an old John Wayne movie. And there are many other stars in it as well. North to Alaska. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Seattle played its role in by heritage still does. So let's stick with the, the gardens here for a little bit. I'm trying to put this, uh, trying to put it together thematically. Maybe people want to plan their, oh, let's go to see some gardens. Oh, let's go and see some history. There's a way you can do that by consulting this wonderful book. It's not only well-written, but it's lavishly photographed as well. Photographs by Courtney Kelly. 111 places in Seattle that you must not miss. So if you are into horticulture, or maybe you just want to look at a lot of pretty grounds with that natural and well-tended beauty, how about a visit to the Dunn Gardens? I've never been. Looks like I got to get there. So this is a place that I discovered during the pandemic. Like so many people, I took long walks in my neighborhood, and then I did my neighborhood, and we wanted to expand out. And we went to a place uh, kind of in the Broadview neighborhood, like Northwestern Seattle up there. And first we started going to a public park, Landover Woods, which was like a ravine, a ravine park. So it was like you're going through um, very much wooded areas. And then we kept in when we we're walking around that neighborhood, we kept seeing on the map that there was another garden nearby, but we kept, we couldn't find it. And we kept going back and forth along the street. And there's this little, um, now it's public. You could, the public is invited in, but it's tucked into this neighborhood and it's called Dunn Gardens. And what it is, is a garden that was designed by the Olmsted Brothers firm, which designed a lot of the public spaces in, in the city. We think of it, the Olmsted Brothers or, or Olmsted as back east, but Olmsted um, firm did a lot of things out here. Green Lake is designed by them. Volunteer Park is designed by the Olmsted Brothers firm. But also they did, they took private uh, private accounts when they were out here, probably as long as they were here, they filled in the time. And so there was a man who, um, Mr. Dunn, Arthur Dunn, who created the first fishing fish cannery out here. So he became very wealthy and he lived in the city. But then like a lot of people, they wanted a summer house. 
So even though this is just a couple of miles out of the city, this was the country where he created his country estate. And he had the Olmsted brothers come and and design the the park and his garden for him. And that's now become it's over 100 years old. And of course, gardens change, but it has many of the original um, trees and plantings that were there. And it's just a lovely place to go walk. It's a very manageable garden to go see. They also advertise twilight walks. Yes. That's what I'd love. In summertime, the sun's up late in Seattle. A twilight walk, that would be something. Yes, they do a lot of events like music and twilight events in, like in the park. They make very good use of the land there. And so it's a great destination. I, After learning about it, I became a member so that I could go back anytime. But it's very just a couple of dollars to go visit. It's just really lovely. What a deal. Well, thank you for that, Harriet. There, I'm going to go to the, the next item I'd love for our listeners to know more about. And by doing that, I'm also making reference to New York. <laughs> Last summer, Suzanne and I went to Ellis Island. We stood underneath Lady Liberty herself, the Statue of Liberty. Oy, the pictures I took there and the stories you have and all the people there with a sense of, of respect there, this venerated space, you could feel it. And I thought, this is a magnificent place. And how ingenious was it, Harriet, for people? I think they got a lot of help from the Boy Scouts, as a matter of fact. There are various, maybe up to 100 places in this country where the Statue of Liberty is commemorated by being imitated. And Seattle is one of those places. Yes. So in the, I didn't realize, I knew that there is a little Statue of Liberty on, um, on Alki Beach. And I couldn't figure out why it was, we had a Statue of Liberty so far from New York. And what I learned was that in the 1950s, the Boy Scouts of America had a campaign to make um, little, little sisters of liberty. So that was this very patriotic thing. And they raised money and they made, they put about 200 little statues of liberty all around the country. And there's maybe a hundred of them left because it's been a while. Um, and one of them is here in Seattle and it's to commemorate and, and be patriotic, but it's also this great, it's become this gathering spot on Alki beach. And so ours, um, I guess because it was on so near the beach and, and exposed to the weather down there, it was, um, it kind of went, I don't want to say it went bad, but it was vandalized and they had to replace it. Um, so we've got a new little Statue of Liberty, but the old one now is part of the history of Seattle and it's around the corner in the in the museum there. So we've um, we've got two little Statues of Liberty. I guess we, we should have the Boy Scouts um, change their list. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand if you take that tour that you can look through the space where the original one is still in in what we might call sort of arrested decay there yes. is available to see. So at the Log House Museum, which is which tells the story of that area, Alki Beach is where the first white settlers landed in Seattle. So that tells the story there. And so again, that little the replaced little Statue of Liberty is now part of the longer story of, of Seattle. So they say it tells that it helps tell that story. But um, when I was down at Alki Beach last time, there were people dancing and, and there were all sorts of activities at the Little Statue of Liberty Plaza is what it's called. We like to throw some love West Seattle's way. Lots of great yes. stuff there. <laughs> Absolutely. 
And, you know, I'm going to stick with this theme of liberty here, Harriet, because uh, there's there's something that certainly struck me as poignant going on here. The little statues of liberty in the same general vicinity, if you include Bainbridge Island, where there was once something very tragic that happened that disrupted lives that many people now say unforgivably, uh, keeping in mind that this was at the start of World War II and there was a lot of war hysteria. It does happen. Nevertheless, the exclusion memorial is available to be seen and deserves a lot of respect. I believe it's at the end or close to the terminal between Coleman Dock and Bainbridge Island, but it's on the Bainbridge Island side, I believe. Yes. Yeah, so if you take the ferry over to Bainbridge Island, it's not right there. You've either got to take a bus or drive over to the the park that is now the Exclusion Memorial. And it is the site. I mean, so many, the, the story in America is, um, in World War II, Executive Order 9066 gave the War Department the right to um, create zones that could exclude anybody. And what it was designed for was to exclude uh, Japanese people and Japanese Americans. And so it turns out that the first um, exclusion area was Bainbridge Island, probably because it was an island. A lot of Japanese Americans lived there and it became an easy place the War Department and to move people off. So um, people in um, on March 30th, 1942, they were given six days notice or six days before March 30th, we're told um, if you're a Japanese, Japanese American, you must report to this ferry dock. Um, and they, were t- they weren't told where to go. They couldn't bring suitcases. They had to bring only what they could carry or wear. Oh, wow. And they were taken to the concentration camps or the the um, the camps for Japanese Americans. The so relocation now, centers. Relocation, right? But they call them concentration camps. So they the they were relocated, and that spot, of course, has a very kind of awful um, association. But it's a place where they have made it a memorial so that nobody forgets. And so you um, and because it was the first spot. So if you go there now, it's actually a you know a beautiful um, contemplative spot. And there's a wall there that has the names of all the people that were um, taken away that day. And it tells the stories of some of those people. And the dock is rebuilt. And they talk about a, a witness tree, a tree that was there when this took place. So it's a very, um, it's an important spot for this country and for culturally also. It is. Uh, I will go there. I absolutely need to go there. I wasn't even born when this was going on, but I learned about it in school. And I think it's important to go to a place that deserves to be venerated, given ultimate respect. And sometimes you just want to say in a collective sense, I'm sorry. There, so exactly. I, will, I will make a point of visiting that uh, exclusion memorial, important that we remember if Japanese American culture appeals to you as it does to so many, the, the elegance, the they call it sometimes a cult of tranquility, and I can see why. Kubota Garden is a great place to visit, especially when it's not raining on you. Nice and sunny and warm exactly. out, great place to yeah. go. But even when it's raining, I went there once in in the like a light rain, and it was actually very lovely. But um, one of the people who was who had to leave Seattle during that war was the man who created what is now Kubota Gardens. So Fujitaro Kubota came to the um, United States from Japan 
in the early 1900s, 19, um, 1910 came to Seattle and he was this gifted um, gardener and nurseryman and he made a business. Um, and he, in the mid twenties, late twenties, he got a, a plot of land um, and he, in the Rainier, what's now the Rainier neighborhood. And he turned this piece of cleared swampland into the most beautiful garden area. Um, it got it went from five acres to 20 acres and he blended Japanese design with Northwest um, Northwest trees and Northwest um, plants. And it, and it was not only a place where his family lived, but it was a, a show place for the business and the, that he did. His, um, somebody else had that land um, rented it. I'm not sure if renting is the right word. While he was in the camps, he got it back, but he couldn't own it. He couldn't be the the person on record who owned it until 1966 because there were still laws on the books that said Japanese people could not own land here. So he finally got it back. And now that piece of land was declared a historic landmark in the early uh, 1980s. And then the city bought it in 1987 to make sure that it did not become houses or condos. And so now it's just a three beautiful park, again, an oasis um, in the city that you can go visit and walk. And there's streams and there's waterfalls and there's just little areas where you can like walk up some steps and look down onto the garden. It's just a really lovely spot. And when we look at trees, there are trees and there are trees. (laughs) <laughs> Harriet, it would be fun to hear about in another place that I have missed. I, I don't know how I miss it. I've been up to Capitol Hill any number of times. If you're doing a walking tour of Capitol Hill and you want to aspire higher in this life, and who doesn't, how about going to the wishing tree? There's a wishing tree up on Capitol yes. Hill. So this is a tradition in lots of countries and more and more cities. Um, but now Seattle has one. They actually have two. I I found one in a little park. But our main one, Capitol Hill Wishing Tree, um, was started by this woman who had seen it in another place, um, Jane Hamill. And she it was her it's like her gift to the community. And so on this giant cedar tree in her yard, she's created like a lattice of um, wires and, and wood so that people can have their wishes hung on this tree. So when she first started, she would just have papers out there and people could write their wishes. But it's a rainy place. So they got really soggy. So then she got a laminator and and beautiful ribbons. So when people leave their wishes, she brings them inside, she laminates them, puts a ribbon on them and hangs them from the tree. So there's, I, I don't want to say hundreds, I want to say thousands of wishes hanging on that tree now. And I think they're maybe refreshed sometimes, but it's, it's just, again, very sweet. You see kids messages out there. You see um, real wishes of like hope for peace, but also just like, you know, I hope I pass my test at school kind of wishes too. <laughs> it's, it's really lovely. Oh, that's going to be fantastic. I'll bring my camera. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I so assume I can get, is there a place where you like pen and paper where you, it's handy or you bring your yes. own? Um, you can bring your own, but she's, but it's a very, um, it's a very inclusive. There's a little table and and supplies where you can write your your wishes, and then a little like maybe uh, it's a golden jar, not a coffee can, but it's a special jar where you put your wishes in, and then they appear on the tree, laminated in a couple of days. It's really nice. Lovely idea. I've been talking about these little spots to visit. 
And yet there are big, beautiful places that have a natural environment and a habitat to match for the non-humans in the care of the docents and those who manage a place like Woodland Park Zoo. I've been there several times. Love it. Can't wait to get back there. It's been years, so I'm sure there have been some changes and a progression. But you include the Woodland Park Zoo in your book as well. A lot of people have lived a lot of years in Seattle and still not been. Right. And even if you've been, there's things, again, because the book, the challenge was like to tell you stories about places um, that you might know, but you might not know some of the stories. And nowadays, if we go to zoos, um, very few of them are just concrete cages where the animals are, are in there. Many of them are are like open uh, scenery kind of places where you're really like visiting the animals in their natural habitat. Well, that kind of zoo design started in Seattle and it started with the gorillas. Um, they were the first ones to get that kind of uh, natural habitat. And the story that someone told me was that when they first put the gorillas in there, one gorilla um, figured out how to climb out. And the zoo director at the time, um, of course, you know, loved loved the design, but someone called the zoo director and said, you know, one of the gorillas is out. And he <laughs> said, he said, no, 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 it just looks like that because it's such a natural habitat and that's supposed to look natural. And they said, no, he's sitting on a bench on, on the walkway here. So pretty sure that or she it was Kiki. She got Kiki got out. So um, so from that, of course, now they've done a little better job, but now it just seems um, it seems like every zoo you go to has that type of design. And so that's um, because of Seattle. Progressive, creative Seattle, filled with beauty, indoors and especially outdoors. Harriet Baskus, thank you for joining again, dear lady. Your book, I wish you many, 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 many copies in sales, 111 places in Seattle that you must not miss. We'll do this again, Harriet. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning into American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure.